It was my first time hauling the Lone Star systems. Aerodyne had moved me from nice, leisurely case space without so much as a call, just a memo that read, Asset Arrangement Notice. Liam Baring has been reassigned to contract number 38297. Parcel is stationed in Hangar 5. I checked my PUD, and sure enough, I wasn't hauling silicon shells to the green bar smelting station like I usually did. I was going into Lone Star, Sector 67 for a pickup. They didn't list the name of the place, just coordinates from my star map. I still remember them. S678944. How could I possibly forget? I was living in Venusian Fields at the time, a rundown old apartment complex that sat directly on the dusty surface of the planet, miles beneath the shimmering skyline Venus is so known for. The life support unit for the building was on the Fritz again, operating well below the state-mandated 60% efficiency, so I put my helmet on as I got out of bed, just in case. It would be better once I took the lifts up to the hangars, but I could already feel the dust in my lungs a little, and I was feeling winded. Besides, if I was going into Lone Star, there was no telling what kind of atmosphere the pickup location had. I'd need my helmet anyway. There were all kinds of crazy in the Lone Star systems. Pilots talked about seeing huge nebulae light years across, of strange interference to their navigational instruments, of audio transmissions that would pierce through ships' halls but wouldn't get picked up by the communicator, and <laughs> even one story that was too crazy, at least at the time. Just as I had figured, the air's oxygen levels were much higher as the lift doors opened into the hangar bay. They always were. The maintenance crews always managed to fix things up top, where the rich strata of society lived. I took off my helmet as I climbed into the cockpit of my Karen-class freighter and powered on the life support as the cab was sealed tight. I loaded up my nav, feeling dread come over me. It was oppressive at first, but beneath it was a small, shimmering excitement. I had never pegged myself as the adventurous type, but there was something inside of me that relished the idea of going into Lone Star. It was a vestige of uncharted, unknown space. It was silly, but I put myself right up there with the greats, Captain Jordan Reams, Kilroy Stevens, and Liam Baring. When the warp drive spit me out a few parsecs from the pickup site, the excitement had completely died. I wasn't going boldly into the unknown, I was whimpering crawling through a starscape that was foreign and bizarre. Right away, my instruments died, and I had to run straight juice, limiting aux power to just my nav, directional scanner, and comms. There was enough to last till the pickup site, but I would need to get refueled for the second leg. I realized then that I had forgotten to check what the drop-off location even was, if it had even been mentioned in the short briefing I had received. Someone on the ground would have to know. There wasn't a star in sight, not even distant ones, and the darkness felt thick as my ship cut through. I wanted to turn on the gravitational sensor to see how I was getting tugged, but I didn't want to cut my levels too close. I only hoped that it wouldn't be too much farther. As I slowly pierced through the inky blackness, I saw a light up ahead. It was dim at first, but it grew brighter and brighter the closer I came to it. It was too bright. And as I approached, I realized it didn't shimmer. It stayed perfectly motionless. As my ship neared, I realized that the light was floating a few feet above a large metal platform thousands of yards long. Tiny dots moved along it, and I realized that they were people. Checking my coordinates, 
they matched. This was the pickup point. They had an enviro shield around the platform, and as I brought the ship to a halt outside, a voice chimed into my comms. Identification, the man said in a brusque tone. I replied with my Karen's ID number, 66347, and the comms went dead. A hole opened in front of me in the bubble, and I passed through as it closed behind me. I was distracted as I searched for Hangar 5, consumed with the bright, unwavering light. It was right along my port side, and enormous, filling my cap with light, suspended by nothing. A hangar bay opened below me, and I was able to make out the number 5 before it retracted into the platform. I brought my ship onto the pad and killed the engines as a group of four, all dressed in white, entered the hangar. As soon as I had descended the ramp from my ship, the one in front, a grizzled middle-aged man with a clipboard, said, State your name, please. I looked around, a little nervous with all the formality. They just stared at me. Liam Baring, I answered. The man looked down at his clipboard, and then back to me. It will only take a minute, he said. The giant glowing orb was still clearly visible through the opening in the hangar. That's not... that's not a phantom light, is it? I asked. The group stopped, and the middle-aged man turned towards me. Don't be ridiculous, Mr. Baring, was his only answer. I was instructed that I wasn't allowed to leave the hangar, so I sat on the steps of the ship's ramp while the crane up ahead picked up a large steel container. As it lifted it into the ship, I noticed that a crowd had formed. They were all wearing the same white clothes. As the crane ascended out of my ship's hold, its job complete, I realized that there were hundreds of them, all staring intently as the machine locked back into its place on the side of the hangar wall. A man in a fine press suit came out of one of the rooms and waved the crowd away. He walked up to me and handed me a piece of synth paper. I looked and saw a set of coordinates. Why not just upload it to my nav computer? I laughed, passing the paper back to him. My hand was left hanging in the air. More secure, he said. I grew a little nervous and said, What exactly am I hauling here? His face grew flush, grave. Just get going, he said, and then walked away. Hey, I called after him. There's a question of payment, asshole. He didn't turn around or even slacken his gait, but shouted, You'll get paid when the job's done. Fully fueled and loaded, I climbed back into the ship and prepared for takeoff. I was fuming as I plugged the coordinates from the scrap of paper manually into my nav computer. Not surprised there was another big blotch of black on my star chart. I only wanted to get the job over with and go back home. Back home where I was hauling snack foods and silicon shells past glowing advertisements for skin creams and sterilization treatments. Back home. As I left the outpost, my anger turned to dread. Due to the anomalies affecting the instruments, there was no way of knowing how far my destination even was. I was too scared to put the ship into warp. There was no telling what could be at the other end, so my only course of action was thrusting. I wish someone down at the outpost had had the decency to give me a few pointers. Was hauling out in Low Star commonplace? Did they just expect me to know my way around? I went on like that, in the dark, for some time. My clock showed that three hours U-time had passed since leaving the outpost, and I reached a fever pitch. 
I didn't think I could trust my instruments or even myself at all. I was just about to turn around, head back to the outpost and demand that they strip the payload from my hold and send me on my way when a voice crackled through my comms. Hello? Hello, it said, but not through my comms. Through what then? Through my head? No need to answer. We're picking you up loud and clear, the voice continued. You're going to dead. Death is on its way. Who are you? I asked, my eyes flitting across my instrument panel, looking for a way, any way, that I could be hearing and communicate with my electronics cut. Do not be alarmed, the voice continued. We are help. We are come. I watched as the lights on my nav computer fired on and off in quick succession, and then in horror as the coordinates altered. We are taking you to safe. You will be safe, the voice said. My ship responded in turn to the new coordinates, no matter how hard I hit the console's eject key or yanked at the ship's controls. Do not fear. No fearing, the voice said again and again, and the distinct hum of the warp drive initializing sounded through the cab. I was helpless to stop it. The ship shot forward, careening through the darkness of space at speeds hundreds of times the speed of light. I wanted it to stop, but I also wanted it to go on forever. The uncertainty was safer, not knowing where the warp would spit me out, not wanting to know. Soon I could feel the waning. It was coming down. The drive's loud churn diminished into a subtle hum as a distorted shape through the window in the cab grew clearer and clearer. It was a structure, but didn't look like anything I've seen before. There were rumors that companies used Lone Star Systems as a testing ground for experimental technologies, but the giant gray form that floated ominously in front of me wasn't of human origin. That was painfully clear. It was too foreign. Too strange. Its size was oppressive. My ship and I were a tiny speck alongside it, but there was more than that. Its enormity had an effective presence to it. I felt like it was making me smaller, shrinking me. We have control now, the voice said, reverberating in my skull. Give control. The next thing I remember was just blackness, but slowly the light came. I was standing in the middle of enormous space with my arms straight at my sides. If I was in a room, the walls were shrouded in darkness. I couldn't make them out. All I could see was a phantom light, a small one, floating about a foot off the cold gray floor a couple yards in front of me. Beneath it, on the ground, lay what looked like a mass of meat. It was writhing and shaking violently back and forth in place. Veins bulged and sinews and tendons connected smaller pieces of red flesh to larger ones. They were connecting right before my eyes. I, I watched as the flesh parted, filling with sliming purple organs. The organs then covered themselves in muscle, then skin. Soon hair formed and it was a figure, a woman, who screamed and lifted herself out of herself. I watched, too horrified to move, as she walked towards me. Her voice was the same one I had heard from my ship, from my head. We questioned, but thought this might make the effort more easier, she said. The words didn't match the lips, which seemed to lag drunkenly behind. What are you? I asked. That is not the question we require, the woman mouthed, 
the voice said. Question, what does your possess? What? I said, unable to think. What? The voice mimicked as the woman stared at me with dark, unblinking eyes. She stared for what seemed like years, until a flash of light shot out from somewhere in the dark. She turned quickly towards it, but as quick as it had come, it was gone. Slowly she turned toward me, but her face was wrong. <laughs> Horribly wrong. It was a smile, but not a smile, and a frown, but not a frown. It was blankness, and it was emotion, it was nothing. She screamed a scream that echoed loudly in both my ears and my head, and then collapsed violently on the floor, splitting her head open and sending a thick pool of blood that began to creep closer to where I stood. The gash grew, breaking her open, tearing her skin and muscle, and sending her back into the gelatinous pile of flesh and gore she had become, and she had been before. The screams died as the writhing pile grew still. The phantom light hummed, dimmed, and vanished. I was left alone in blackness. My heart beat loudly in my ears, and my own breathing was like the sound of engines firing. After what seemed like ages, a bright light erupted in the distant dark. It cut through the blackness, hitting me in my eyes. I had to squint to see see the figure that stood there, silhouetted. It was too far away. I couldn't make out its features. It's still with what I supposed were arms, outstretched slightly at its sides, motionless. I watched it in the light, and I watched as it slowly turned and walked out of sight, leaving only the bright beam of light and me standing there. I followed it. The light, I mean. I'm not sure what compelled my feet forward. My mind was blank. Not blank. It was full. Full of whirring, swirling shapes, colors, ideas, things I couldn't make sense of. They cascaded down upon me in waves, overwhelming, but also lifting me, carrying me forward. As I passed through somehow, I found myself in a darkened hallway. There was no light source visible, but I could make out walls that stood tall and menacing just a few feet on either side of me. I reached out and touched the one on my right finding it cold but strangely recoiling, like when you pet a dog that didn't know you were there, like it was alive. I started down the hallway and began to feel lightheaded, even more than I had before. I fell to the ground as forms and shapes flashed inside my mind at lightning-fast speeds. It was my life. Me. Images from my childhood, my mother, my father, my first job at the scrap metal refinery. Memories from my past, and somehow, my present flew through me. My present flew through me. I wanted to scream, but no sound came. The sensation was painful, each memory tinged with something unspeakable, terrifying. Then there was nothing. My mind returned to me, slowly and I became aware of my surroundings again. The dark hallway came back into vision, and standing only a few feet in front of me was me. It was a perfect copy of myself, down to the gray uniform of Iridine's industrial shipping division. He was frightened, terribly frightened, and his face flushed, grimacing with pain. His body jerked violently, sporadically, and I watched as he turned and hobbled quickly away, his gait smoothing with each shambling step. Hey! I called after him, 
startled by the sound of my own voice. He didn't answer, but the sound echoed hauntingly through the hall and didn't seem to diminish at all. It grew louder even. Louder. I felt it deep in my guts. Taking a deep breath, I sealed myself and ran. I felt intoxicated. My vision swayed and lagged. I didn't understand how or why it was suddenly able to move myself, but I would take the opportunity. I knew I had to find whatever the thing was. I was driven by that singular purpose. The hull cut sharply to the right and then began to steeply decline. I could hear footsteps ahead of me, clapping loudly against the floor in quick succession. The thing was running. It was running too. Not for me, it wasn't afraid of me. I knew that somehow. It was running somewhere. To a point. For a reason. As I chased it, the gravity of that reason, the sheer weight of it, crashed down upon me, filling me with dread. I channeled it, turning it to frantic energy. I saw that the path ahead of me took a sharp right turn, and the footsteps that echoed ahead of me suddenly stopped. My feet clapped clumsily against the ground as I tried to slow down, but it was too late. I was already around the corner, and this thing was standing inches from me, its breathing shallow as it stared into my eyes. In one swift motion, it brought its right hand around my throat and threw me hard against the wall. It broke a few ribs. I heard the crack and pain shot through my chest. It kept its gaze straight as I looked up, clenching my sides in pain. Slowly it walked forward, past me, through the wall somehow. Wincing, I stood to my feet. I then noticed that I was standing on an elevated platform, miles above the ground. Below me was a tiny metal speck I recognized as my ship. The cargo bay was open, and what looked like a giant, gnarled metal hand was removing the payload inside. A metal container, nearly identical to the one removed, was lying nearby. Connected to an immense landscape of tubes and wires that shot forth in all directions. Through the tubes ran a thick red sludge. It was pulsing as it was pumped into the container, animated by frequent electrical jolts from the attached wires. When the last of the sludge had been pumped in, the container was lifted into my ship's cargo hold, and I watched in horror as the thing, me, the other me, walked casually into view. I shouted, screamed, dread and helplessness forcing me into a panic frenzy. I was far away, too far to know for sure, but I thought I saw the thing look up and wave at me. It got into the cab and ignited the thrusters. I knew exactly where it was going, though I didn't know how. I felt my mind wane. An image came to me, clear and vibrant, of a teapot. It had been sitting on the stove for a few minutes already, and the water inside was just about to boil. The steam was just beginning to seep through the top, the whistle was starting, quiet at first but growing louder, 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 louder.
Phantom Space Funhouse is produced by Nate Gutman and Kim Scharfenberger. The Big Switch was written and read by Nate Gutman and composed by David Riondo. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Space Pod and leave us a five-star review in iTunes. That really helps people find us. If you have questions or comments or just want to chat, you can write to us at phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com or visit us at phantomspacefunhouse.com and please consider supporting us on Patreon. As always, thanks for listening.